Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, my name is Nick. I serve as the spiritual formations pastor here at Solid Rock, and it's good to be with you. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to preach for Jason because he was sick, but this time it was uh, just because it was intentional. And so I asked him to do live welcome, you know, proof of life. He's okay. And so thank you for doing that, Jason. Um, we're uh, continuing in our First Peter uh, series, and we're actually going to be finishing it up next week. And um, we've been in chapter 5, and uh, if you want to go on and start turning there, we'll be there in just a second. But as we have gone through this, last week we were talking about elders and shepherd and like what their role was in the church, and humility was a big part of that. And so we actually start there today in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, talking about being humble. Um, one of the things, though, as I was reading this, and just considering what Peter is writing to us as a church and as believers, is that we were not created for this world. Like, um, if you didn't know that, spoiler alert. So we were not created for this world. We were created for Eden. We were created to be in perfect relationship with God, to be in the creation that he created good. But sin, yes, is what broke all of that. And so now we're having to navigate living in this broken world while also still being citizens of a new heaven and a new earth that is yet to come. And so there's this tension that we have to continue to kind of work through. And it reminded me a lot as Peter's uh, writing this, it reminded me a lot of being a parent. Like being a parent, you're constantly talking to your kids about like how to navigate life, right? Like how to set up good, healthy habits and rhythms and if you don't do it now, you're going to have to do it later. Like, make the hard choice now so it's easier later. Like, if you make the easy choice now, it's usually harder on you later, right? Different things, like how to navigate life. Like, um, our kids are learning <laughs> your brain doesn't always work the way you want it to when you got a ton of homework to get done. And it's not like all of a sudden you go, oh, now I want to do this many chapters. And your brain's like, sure, let's do this many chapters, at some point, your brain kind of goes, no, I'm done. And so just navigating even like our limits and what we can and cannot do, uh, navigating that we live in a broken, fallen world, and yeah, there's going to be suffering. There's consequences. There's things that don't work like we want them to work. They just don't work. And it's always hard for me. Like I'm trying to help them navigate, right? I want to be honest about the reality of what we live in, but also continually pointing them that this is not what we were created for. Like, we kind of have to keep holding this tension the whole entire time, because if we take our tension or take our eyes away from the new heaven and the new earth, like the, the hope that we have that's coming, and we just start going, how are we going to navigate this? Like, there's just going to be a lot of control. There's going to be a lot of my strength and my wisdom and just a lot of me trying to figure out the best life I can make out of this. When I forget, when I take my eyes off what is what God has really called us to and what he's redeeming us to and what he's transforming us to. And so as we go through the passages today, it's going to be really tempting to think about what life is like right now for you, right? It's going to be really tempting to go, how can I make my life better now with these passages? But really what we need to do as we read through these is just, what is God calling us to be in these passages not so much do, but be, right? Like, what is he calling us as believers and as part of his church and part of this time in this world where 
it's still a broken world around us, even though we are saved, we are set apart, we are holy and righteous, but we're still navigating all these things. So let's, let's read as we are to be rather than to do, and that uh, God would meet us in these passages. So we're going to start in verse uh, 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5, and just follow along with me. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. It's pretty easy for us to connect with this as far as passages go, because throughout Scripture, we, we know that there's a theme of God opposes the proud, but He exalts and He gives grace to the humble. Like, this is something that He's cultivating in us. And so this be humble or is not a to-do, right? That's the temptation. It's like, okay, I need to do humility, right? But really what he's calling us is to let go and be in our humility. Um, last week, Jason was talking about humility, and like that's one of the characteristics of a believer or an elder or a shepherd, and we're to walk in that. And so there's a couple of different ways we can be in our humility is we can be over-exaggerated in our humility, kind of in disgrace, where we don't put a lot of value on ourselves, or we don't really care for ourselves. We, we just put ourselves so low that there's no value or worth. Or you can go to the far extreme of this and just be really puffed up in pride and like you're just really arrogant. If you look at the definition of humility, it says free from arrogance if you look it up in Webster. And so there's these pendulums that we can swing in humility as one just having low value of self, the lowest of low. Or being puffed up hugely in pride and thinking that I can do all of these things, I can control these things, I can do all of those and so we ask that we see these really clear, simple way. And I love that Peter did this. He's like, humble yourself. So where am I supposed to do this? Or how am I supposed to be in humility so I can be right size? Not too puffed up, not too little, but to be what you called me to be. And he answers it quickly. He says, under the mighty hand of God. Now, first read, depending on what your life experiences have been, it may be really scary to have God's hand over you. It could be really scary because you're afraid that that hand's going to do this. Right? Like for me, like if, if I've got these terrifying authority figures in my life, that hand over me is not going to be a place that I want to submit myself to. But we see this beautiful description that, that we're being called to be humbled under, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at a proper time he may exalt you. I'm telling you right now, that is not exalting. Exalt is raising us up, not for us to be beheld ourselves as if we are the object to be worshipped, but to be exalted and lifted up in the one who is. And so Peter's making this really effortless for us to like really be able to see the difference between humbling ourselves and trusting the mighty hand of God so that in a proper time, he might exalt you. See, without Christ, it's really tempting for us to think I, there is a food chain and a pecking order, and all I have to do is just get up to the top. And if I'm at the top, I can feel safe. I can feel at ease. I can do this. I can navigate this. If I can get up really high, I can scan the land for safety violations. I can like see whatever's coming my way, right? But that's not what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to trust and submit ourselves to this mighty hand of God 
who is above all things so that we can be right-sized living in this life, in this time. It's impossible apart from Christ for us to be right-sized. Seeing situations as right-sized as well. Whenever um, I'm living within myself and trying to understand stuff, whether it's in the low humility of disgrace or even in the pride, it's hard for me to like even understand what's happening in my life right-sized, right? Because right? if I'm in control, like a situation that's this big really feels this big because I'm looking at what it takes and I'm looking at what I have to give to it and it feels like a, a five-alarm uh, fire call and I've got a squirt gun. Maybe I said that wrong. You guys are just not looking at me, all right? Maybe, is it, is it the opposite where one alarm is the bigger one? All right, or maybe you guys have a lot of trust in your squirt gun. I don't know. But here's the thing. It's like whenever I don't have humility and I'm not right-sized, it's hard for me to even take situations that's happening in my life as right-sized. Sometimes if you're like way into the disgrace and you have a five-alarm fire, you're like, I don't even need to call 911. I don't even, yeah, what's the point? You become really, really just off of what God is calling us to and being right size is God's not wanting us to exaggerate things one way or the other. He's actually allowing us to say, hey, if this is hard, this is hard. Hey, if this has been difficult on you, this has been difficult. Or like, hey, if this has been suffering, this is suffering. Because if we think about the cultural context of this going on, there has been spiritual persecution happening. That's who Peter's writing to, is he's writing to brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing this suffering. So we don't have to exaggerate, and we don't have to pretend like nothing else is going on. Like, we get to be honest and right-sized in all this, trusting in the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time, he may exalt you. James 4 talks about living in the world of suffering. It's very similar in James chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, and in verse 10. It says, But he gives more grace, therefore it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself, therefore, to God. And he also calls us to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 10 says, And humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, why is it important to bring up a passage that says almost the exact same thing is because when Scripture repeats itself, it's telling you it's important. Like when Christ would talk, he would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly. It's like when there's a repetition and there's a theme, it's saying perk up or pay attention. Be alert. Like there's a reason this is being said to us in a number of different ways. And so even James, where Peter's talking about persecution, James is talking about worldliness and like how, why we need to be humble in even that because there are so many things calling and beckoning for our attention. And see, this is why we have to keep in view the reality that is going to be for us in the new heaven right now while we're here on earth is because so much of the world is calling our attention and calling our eyes away from what is true and trying to overwhelm us and consume us to the place that we have to make a decision either to be puffed up in pride or in disgrace and humility. And that's not what God is calling us to do, to not be tossed to and fro just by the circumstances of life. But in verse 7 of 1 Peter 5, it also calls us to cast our anxieties on him. So when you think about anxiety or being anxious, it's rooted in the fear or the emotion of fear, 
right? You, you sense danger. We talked about this two Sundays ago on uh, Easter Sunday. Like, what do you do when you feel afraid? You kind of brace yourself, right? You're kind of like waiting for an impact to happen. And so fear says something's not right. And so we can brace for an impact or we can even in our anxiety say, I'm going to control something. I'm going to manage this situation to have the least amount of damage or to avoid damage whatsoever. And so fear leads to anxiety and anxiety tends to make us go into control mode and we want to make sure that we do everything we can to keep us safe and the people around us safe. And so we're trying to manage what it's like living in this world. And when we do that, it's so easy just to forget that God has called us to something bigger and he's going to actually redeem us unto that. In Matthew 6, verses uh, 25, 33, and 34, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not your, it's, excuse me, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, he's not saying you are going to have an opportunity to live this life. There will be no fear and anxiety. What he's telling you is, is that this time in this life, God is going to care for you. God is going to do everything he can to be with you and take care of your needs because he created you with a purpose. He created you specifically for being in relationship with him. And so there's a couple of things in God's desire for us is he wants to redeem it back to the way it was meant to be, better, new. And he wants to redeem us unto himself in perfect relationship. And so when we see passages like Matthew 6, he's talking about everyday life. He's like the food and the clothing, all those things. He goes, I will take care of those. I will provide for you, but seek first the kingdom of God. So he's again calling our eyes, not on this world, but he's calling our eyes upward to what he's doing eternally. And just like when he says, humble yourselves, and he answers us, how? Under the mighty hand of God. He says, cast your anxieties on him. How? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Guys, that is such a big thing. Our deepest fears demand guarantees in life, and we become overly controlling in any risk we can take. We step out of proximity and relationship with Christ when we go into our controls and we go into our fears and anxieties. And and when those things are left unchecked, it creates isolation in our life. And over time, the bigness of life gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and so we take on more anxiety and more control And so the next thing we know, we look up and we don't recognize where we're at or what's going on. And this is why Peter's calling us to cast our control, our anxiety on the Lord so that we can be right-sized, living under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because that's the most loving place he could have us as his children. When I'm talking to my kids and I was thinking about what it looks like to help them navigate life, oftentimes I'm having to always look at them and go, listen, I'm doing it because I love you and I'm trying to keep you safe. When they don't understand, that's the best thing I can tell them right now. If you've got a better one, let me know. I want it. But it's like, I'm loving you and I'm trying to keep you safe. I want you to have the best life. I want you to have these healthy boundaries and places where you can feel free to be who God created you to be. And I feel like that's what Christ is telling us right now. He's like, 
I want you to be able to be right-sized. I want you to be under my mighty hand. Not that we won't still experience suffering in this life. That's not the promise. That's not the two plus two equals four, that if I trust God in everything, then nothing bad will happen. If I submit myself in humility under the right hand of God or the mighty hand of God, then nothing bad will happen. If you're hearing that, I explained it poorly. That is not what we're saying. We're saying that God wants to care for us and he wants to protect us and he wants to meet us in those sufferings so we can be right-sized, not living out of our control and not living out of disgrace. But it's so easy for us when we experience bad things to take our eyes off of God and to look for the easiest thing to latch on to. I was reading this article and they were talking about our brains and the way they work. And one of the things it said is that when we're under a lot of stress, we tend to want to take the path of least resistance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like life's just not really going well. And so like, what do you need to do? It's normally the hard choice, right? Like if you need to get up and exercise. Like path of least resistance says stay in bed, Right? The one we need is to get up and create healthy habits. But our brain is like going, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. And so it's one of those things. And um, one of our elders was sharing a story. He was on a small plane that uh, somebody he knew was flying. And they took off and they're heading to their destination. And somewhere in the ascent, there was a miscommunication between the plane and air traffic control that they were not at the right altitude. Now, they give you an altitude for a reason, not because there's just so much free space up there, right? It's because there's other things going on in the air. And so immediately there's a flashing light on their console saying that there is an issue with their altitude. They're getting radioed. There's an issue with your altitude. You need to drop 2,000 feet now. Now, I don't really know the full details, but I think there was a helicopter or something was in the area. So they dropped 2,000 feet quickly. And Daniel was explaining this. He goes, the lady next to him grabs his arm. And Daniel's like, I don't know what she expected me to do. I'm falling with her. (laughs) And as he was sharing that, it just hit me. It's like, that's what we do when we fear the fear and anxiety and the control. We will latch on to lesser things. And often the lesser things we're grabbing onto are the things that are going down with us. They're not the mighty hand of God. That's the anxiety, that's the control, that's the reactionary of taking an embrace and trying to navigate this in our own strength and our own understanding. But what God is asking us to do is to trust in him. It doesn't mean that you won't be on a flight and you aren't going to have to change their altitude. It may be a while after that story before you get on a plane. But here's what we need to understand is that anxiety takes us away from what is true. It makes us fretful, full of distrust. It makes us impulsive. It makes us controlling. Anxiety as a solution to our fears is self-sufficiency and the refusal to be needy with God. Anxiety as a solution to our fears, control, is us leaning into our self-sufficiency and refusal to allow us to be needy with God. What that means is it refuses to allow us to be humble and submit to God. When we are holding on to the person next to us or the vice or the coping mechanism or 
whatever thing you can think of that helps you deal with your anxiety or fears that is not Christ. Now, I don't say that to shame because I got news for you. I deal with anxiety stuff too. There are things that make me nervous. Getting up here on a Sunday and speaking to you makes me nervous. I don't like speaking. I'm called to do it, but I don't like it. It is not something where I wake up and I go, man, I would really like to handle God's word in front of a lot of people. Control becomes the antithesis of faith. And our faith is what we put our hope in. And that's when transformation can actually happen is when we place our faith and our hope in something bigger, which is why we got to quit just turning our eyes down to what's happening here and figuring out the best way to approach it in our fear and anxieties. But we have to have something that's above it all. Something that is above it all, a person who is above it all that calls us out of it and exalts us out of it at the proper and right time. For some of you, when I talk about letting go of control, it may feel like I'm saying what God is doing is just saying, you're just going to be a boat or a raft in the water with no rudder and no sail, and you're just going to have to deal with life. You're just going to have to put up and shut up, and that's what it looks like to trust God. That's not what it looks like. God gives us calling. God gives us purpose. Therefore, he gives us a rudder and a sail. You need to hear that. The rudder and sail for your life is the purpose and calling God has given you. That is not just floating. That is not meaningless. That is not aimless. That is not purposeless. Your rudder and your sail is the the purpose and calling and the value that Christ has given you as a follower of him, as a person made in his image. But the seas will still get rough. Okay? Okay? The seas will still get rough. Life still happens. We still have to navigate this broken world. But we are called to entrust ourselves to the one who's above it all. Two Sundays ago during Easter, we talked about the people who watched from afar and they didn't want to entrust themselves because of what? The fear, the anxiety, the danger that came from being close to Jesus. But just like two Sundays ago and just like today and just like forever, the closest the safest person you will ever be with is Jesus, even if it costs our life. Philippians 4, verse 7 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. What's really important about this, when it says, do not be anxious about anything, it says what? By prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, and let your requests be known to God. So what all those things are doing is taking our focus on everything that's happening right now. We're able to admit what's happening right now through prayer, through supplication, by taking our requests to God. And then that's when we get to experience the mighty hand of God over us. Is when we are honest about what's happening in our life and we say, God, this is where I'm at. Here's where my fears are, Lord. Here's where I want to take control. Here's where I feel like you're not going to answer me. Here's where it feels like you're not big enough. Or sometimes for me, it's like, here's where you're going to let me go through a hard season and I don't want to do it. I've told you guys this before. Sometimes I'm like, sign me up for hard things. Just let me know when it's going to be done. 
I can do any hard thing as long as I know when the end date is. Guys, that's not me wanting to be under the mighty hand of God. That's me wanting to have my hand upon God's hand so I can make sure he does it the way I want him to do it. So he's saying in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, which is what we were called to be as worshipers, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Does it mean that we won't experience suffering? No. Peter knew this. But it means that at a proper time, Peter's ultimately telling us that when Christ calls us home, when the new heaven and the new earth are finally made real, that's where we place our faith and our trust and our hope. But we can also look right now and know that he cares for us, that he does not leave us on our own. He gives us some more instruction in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, this is that parent part of me again where it's like, hey, we need to be humble. We need to trust God, right? Like, that's like the ultimate thing that we want to live in and trust in, right? But then it's like that parent goes, but, but let me remind you how the world actually works. And the way the world actually works is that there is an adversary that is intentionally seeking to devour you, that is intentionally seeking to make sure you take your, mind, your eyes off God, who's intentionally wanting to make sure you think that you're, Anxiety and control is a good thing, that it'll protect you, that it's what's helped you get this far in life, and it's a good thing. There is an evil one that does that. So Peter's call to us is to be sober-minded and be watchful. We're not doing this battle just because there's physical things that happen in this world that we have to deal with. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-5 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, of, but have divine powers to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so our war is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. It's been spiritual things. And so to resist the devil is to draw near to God himself. See, to be prideful and to take in anxiety and control is to be far from God and to, again, like I said, put our hand on top of God's hand and say, here's how I want it to happen. But to draw near to God is to be under the mighty hand of God in truth and relationship. Not just that I know that, but in proximity and relationship, I know that he cares for me. See, if we just go be humble and be under God's hand, that's going to get us into a to-do mentality, and it's not going to work. He said, be humble and be under the mighty hand of God and cast your anxiety because he cares for you. So there's a truth and a relationship component to that first section of verses that we looked at. And so even right now when we think about the war, it's not against flesh, but against spiritual things, he is calling us to draw near to him, not just with our understanding, but with ourselves. To take every thought captive is to be present and right-sized. Think about that. To take your thoughts captive is to be present and right-sized. 
That is not easy to do by yourself. You have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to have a relationship with other believers to be able to help you see things right-sized. Because on our own, we can get really pulled by this one that seeks to devour. One of the things for me that I try to deal with, um, anxiety, is to do automation. I don't know if anybody else is this way, but if you just go on automated mode where you don't have to think about it, you just have to get the task completed. No? Come on. Listen, so here's an example. Like, if you know where you're going and you're driving there and you just drive and you don't remember anything that happened, anybody ever do that? Okay, apparently you're all safe drivers. So that's what I'm talking about, automation. It's this ability to go through life and shut down everything else. And you don't have to think about it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to deal with it. And you're just running through life. And guess what? It works for the most part, except that we live in a broken and fallen world. And between your automated little drive, there's going to be wrecks. There's going to be construction. There's going to be casualties. There's going to be things that you're going to have to deal, feel, and work through. And so for me, automation became like my way of dealing with that stuff. And it doesn't work. But it leads to me feeling self-sufficient. It leads to me feeling lonely. It leads to me feeling far from God. And so as much as the automation, quote-unquote, can work, it doesn't work, ultimately. And so Paul's purpose in talking to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 was to destroy our self-confidence and self-exaltation. Because one of the things it talks about in verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds were things that were created to put faith and trust in to protect. My automation was a stronghold that I created and brought in to be a thing to protect me. To keep me safe, or at least give me the feeling that I'm safe, the illusion of it. And so what he's talking about is whatever that looks like in our life, It could be a false gospel. It could be a gospel of prosperity. It could be if I make sure I pray and if I make sure that I fast, if I make sure I tithe, if I make sure I do all these things, then nothing bad will happen. Again, this is us controlling the hand of God. What Paul's saying is he wants us to destroy the defenses that we've created to feel safe, our self-confidence and our self-exaltations that have been put up and ultimately they oppose the gospel. And it's kind of a sobering thought to think that my control that comes out of my fears and anxiety opposed the gospel. I think about Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes of your, for your feet, having put on the, excuse me, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which um, can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. 
And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see how all these passages are linked together, and they're all called for us to resist or to stand firm. And that's not in our own strength, that's not in our own understanding, that's not in our own power but that's under the mighty hand of God. That's over the gospel, the things that he's given us to battle against spiritual warfare. I got news for you. I have no ability on my own to create spiritual weapons that will be successful. I have no ability to create any spiritual weapons, period, much less one successful. So what does that look like to resist and stand firm? It means to place myself in humility under the mighty hand of God. It means me to be honest in relationship with him. We're called to, be, uh, to resist and stand against Satan by refusing to succumb to his temptations. And if you go all the way back to the garden, that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Is he's like, take your eyes off of him and put your eyes on yourself. Did God really say that? I think you guys would be awesome gods, is what he said. You know what the temptation about being an awesome God is? The control the safety. It's like Burger King to have it my way. I'm sorry, that was poor. <laughs> First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, there is no promise that there will not be suffering. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your whole life is filled with suffering from the moment you're born to the moment we go to the Lord. And your whole life in the age of Christ or the commodity of what time looks like to God could be described as a little while. We're not talking about weeks months or years we're talking lifetimes generations after you've suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you those are all things that are part of the new heaven those are the things that we hope and long for in faith to him be the dominion forever and ever amen I didn't want to read the whole chapter 8 of Romans to you, but I love Romans chapter 8, and it's really applicable to this. So if you get time later, read the whole chapter of Romans 8. But it started in 18, it says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is suffering in this life. But because of what we have talked about today and what Peter has been encouraging us is that we are to remain faithful and to resist temptation in the flesh through prayer, through supplication, through thanksgiving, through seeing God as he actually is 
in seeing ourselves right size under the mighty hand of God. And again, this does not mean we won't experience hard things in this life. In fact, what it means is you will experience suffering, but you get to experience a life where your suffering has purpose and meaning. And you get to experience a relationship where God cares for you. And you get to have an eternal home safely with him forever. And we get to experience the presence of God now, not just later. We'll get to experience it later in its fullness. But we get to experience a lot of this right now. He's redeeming. He's restoring. He offers his mighty hand to us right now to be under. So that this life has meaning and purpose. It's about conforming us back into his image. That's what the rest of Romans 8 talks about. That God causes all things for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. One, he's talking to believers. He says, all things, good and bad, according to his purpose. And if you read on, his purposes is conforming us back into the image of his son. It means that he's going to use everything you experience in this life to be part of what he uses to redeem us and to make this new heaven and this new earth a reality. And for us to have a relationship with him, that's, that's our faith, that's our hope. So what I'm going to do now is going to ask a few reflection questions. And the reflection questions are just an opportunity to maybe ask yourself to be curious about what's going on in your heart and what God may be doing in your heart. Be curious about what God's doing, right? Maybe, you know, it's something we think about all the time. It's like, I'm going to be curious about what God's doing in my life. Let's be curious. And in doing that and through prayer and through supplication, I believe God can answer us. Maybe it won't be a full answer. Maybe it'll be a partial next step. But God does respond to us. <coughs> Excuse me. The first question is this. When you experience anxiety... Do you believe that God sees and cares for you? Number two, what makes it hard to trust that God will care for you? Something for us to remember, excuse me. A lot of our fear and anxiety comes from our life experiences. And there's things that happen in our life that we scan the future and we're like, we don't want that to happen again. And maybe there's been a way that God has seemed to be distrustful. What makes it hard for you to trust that God will care for you? Who or what do you depend on the most when difficulty arises? This is that path of least resistance. This is the arm you're going to grab, the thing you're going to cope with, the thing that's going to help you kind of numb out, the automation. Four. How is God calling you to be sober-minded and watchful right now? And then the last one is, does it give you hope knowing that one day God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you with him forever? Answer one of them. Answer all of them. Maybe God's laid something specifically just to you. Whatever it may be, I pray that you would know that he is calling you to be under his mighty hand, not to rule out of smashing you, but to one day exalt you because he cares for you. So let's pray. 
and worship team will come out and you'll have an opportunity to respond. Father, we come before you right now. Lord, ultimately there are no others for us to come to. There are no other gods. There are no other plans. There are no other controls or uh, sources of strength that can help us navigate this life. And God, the goal is not just to be able to navigate this where we go, man, I, I at least scored above average. The purpose of this life is to be able to be restored unto you, to experience what it's like to be in your image, to experience what it's like to be in relationship with you. And Lord, we know one day we're gonna have an opportunity to experience all these things in their fullness. But until that time, Lord, may you please be with us. And Lord, may we be faithful to respond to you. We love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.